0: Wednesday morning, September 14th. Uh, right now, uh, is uh, it looks like uh, the uh, casket of uh, Queen Elizabeth is moving into the main hall of uh, Westminster Abbey. Uh, and uh, this is, hmm, or the Parliament, excuse me, the Parliament of Westminster. And uh, they're, of course, uh, lined with people. It was about a mile walk, give it a mile and a half maybe, as it was uh, being carried on a horse-drawn carriage. Now you've got uh, the eight servicemen uh, who are uh, carrying the casket to its uh, uh, its, uh, platform that it's going to be on, and um, you'll see pictures like crazy. It'll be there for three days, open 24 hours a day for uh, people to go through.
1: The pageantry is just fascinating to me. If you think about um, what the service members wear, they wear those, um, you know, red suits and the black pants, and then they have the matching giant black fuzzy hat, I guess, that they wear. And before they could enter Westminster Hall, London, there were other officers who came behind them and took off their hats as they were holding the coffin.
0: Yeah, it's extraordinary. It, it's it is. It's so and there's, intricate. And there's a crown uh, on the casket. Uh, now, uh... When uh, President, uh, former President uh, Trump dies, and I'm not pushing for him to die, uh, but when he does die, uh, on the casket will be uh, a can of Diet Coke, uh, because he is such a Diet Coke uh, fanatic. You know that, don't you? Uh, And you are as well. So are we going to put one on yours? Yeah. Well, uh, probably not. Probably not. But uh, still, uh, yeah, you're right. The pageantry is just insane. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, well, you'll see pictures of it. I don't know exactly what military contingent uh, the uh, uh, those men are. I think part of the Queen's uh, Guard. Of the Royal Queen. Guard yeah, or something like that. She's got different, uh, uh, she has several different regiments uh, who are involved directly with the crown.
1: And you could tell this was not, I know that there's controversy about whether or not her body is in there or should it be in there or whatever. But it was definitely heavy. These poor guys carrying it. They're all sweating profusely. And yet they are just
0: stoic as can be. Well, you could tell it was heavy. Well, if you go to London and uh, just outside of Buckingham Palace, of course, you have uh, the guards Mm -hmm. uh, who stand on either side of the gates and they don't move. Mm -mm. And I think it's either a one hour or two hour stint. But fly lands on their nose The fly just sits there. It wins. Pouring sweat. It could be 100 degrees outside. And you, well, there is a uniform where uh, they have uh, that that red coat and that big black hat they wear and then shorts. It is quite the view to see when they're in their shorts. But still, uh, it's uh, very impressive. So right now, uh, the casket, it's probably, uh, what, on a – platform that must be six oh, eight feet tall yes, yes and the casket going above that and then the flag is actually i think her flag it's not the flag of great britain right and uh so still a lot of pomp a lot of pageantry uh, the royal family
1: is there king charles queen camilla right at the very front front and then um As it goes back, I also thought what was interesting is they've all been handed some sort of it looks like a program, maybe, of what's going to happen today. So everyone who's in military uniform, so that would be King Charles, Prince William, um, uh, Princess Anne, none of them moved nor looked at the program. However, you had Prince Harry and you had Prince Andrew, who are not in uniform well, just looking through that program, flipping pages, you know, just like nothing. It, it's amazing to me what those uniforms mean, the roles that once they put those on, that they step into. It's it is uh, I don't it's fascinating. I can't find another word.
0: The uh, the part that I find, uh, I guess, interesting and uh, which I don't understand the affection for the that Brits hold the queen. I mean, I can see it. I sort of I don't I don't own it. I don't feel it viscerally standing in line for 36 hours uh, to just go past the casket and mm-hmm. uh, you're st- standing in line. No place to sit. Still trying to figure out where people pee. Is there any way to figure that out? Uh, Alex, if you can uh, do some little uh, research, because I don't know how that works. Maybe that is uh you know, some entrepreneur has come up with something, the uh, super bottled water uh, container, I don't know, uh, to make this happen. I can't
1: uh, believe you haven't asked about snacks. Like, are uh, there vendors yeah, outside?
0: Well, I, yeah, just selling snacks, going up and down. Getting the guys uh, that are waiting at the border, uh, the Mexican border, screaming, chiclets chiclets chiclets. Uh, as you uh, attempt to cross uh, over uh, the uh, U.S.-Mexico border at Tijuana and selling those big sombreros. God, I would love to see that. It's a visual. You know that, don't you? It, it You know what I'm
1: interested to see? Legitimately, remember when Princess Diana died and all of the, uh, I don't know, swag that came out about her. Remember, it was like... Plates Oh, and, you will and see that. Cups
0: but and, this is what the Brits do. Right. Cor- coronations. Yes. Uh, jubilees. And they have, I mean, yeah. vendors go crazy see with that. this kind of You'll stuff. You'll see plenty of that. I actually have a couple of really nice pieces dating back, uh, one of them dating back to Queen Victoria, uh, a little tureen thing uh, that I had bought, because uh, I'm such a history nut, as you know. And then uh, a couple of things from uh, King George. Uh, the father of uh, Elizabeth. Anyway, there uh, are portable toilets that have been
1: erected along the route, according to the Daily Mirror, and they are put in by PTI Portable Toilets Limited.
0: Ooh, yeah, under royal warrant to uh, the royal family. They we provide the portable toilets to the to the royal family. Okay. This is
1: why people listen to KFI. Uh, that is actually correct. All right, good stuff.
0: The heat wave is effectively over sort of may come back again because uh, this is how we roll in Southern California and climate change of course has turned uh, heat waves into super heat waves. So uh, during the heat wave, uh, what's going on? I mean, we have deaths uh, again, that's across the country, but uh, mostly in Southern California because we have more homeless than any place else in the country because obviously the weather Uh, counterintuitively enough Uh, fewer people die across the country because of the cold, hypothermia, than do people in Southern California die of the heat. And why is that? Because when you're in Buffalo, New York, and you're homeless, believe me, there are shelters there. There are heated shelters. When you're in Southern California, of the tens of thousands of homeless, uh, there aren't uh, those shelters, places, uh, cooling centers. I mean, there are some, but not enough of them. So uh, what is going on? Well, if you live in a tent and it's 110 degrees out there, uh, you not only are you baking in an enclosed area, it could be 120 in a tent, 130. I mean, it gets completely crazy. And uh, in L.A. Times uh, article, they interviewed a woman who said, you can't breathe, it drains you. Temperatures continue to rise. They stay elevated for far longer. Uh, tens of thousands of homeless people end up at a far greater risk of uh, heat stroke, cardiac arrest, dehydration. Uh, it's it's a mess here. But then uh, the argument becomes that it is so, the heat is so dangerous, especially now that climate change has hit us, and we're going to see, as I said, Longer heat waves, hotter heat waves uh, that maybe we've come to the point where, and this is according to some legislators and particularly the mayor of um, uh, the mayor of uh, Sacramento, Steinberg, uh, Eric Steinberg, I think his name is, and uh, Sacramento being one of the hottest places in all of California. The argument now becomes, should shelter uh, become a right? New York shelters a right. I mean, it is akin to a constitutional right. They have to provide. Southern California, they don't. And people die. And more people die of heat in this country than floods, than hurricanes, earthquakes, which we haven't had in a long time. And when we do... Southern California will look in the hundreds or the dozens of people dying because of the building codes, et cetera. Well, the heat, it's thousands of people that die. I mean, every year. But why do we not pay too much attention? Why isn't this huge news? Because it happens over the entire course of uh, the season. It happens in bits and pieces. Uh, It happens uh, that you'll hear a news story. Three people died in an apartment uh, or an elderly uh, person died uh, in a shelter or going to a shelter. Eh, It's not news because uh, it's just a little tiny bit of the problem where a flood, man, you get it all in one fell swoop. A forest fire, a wildfire, you get it all in one fell swoop and that becomes a Greater news uh, than are the people uh, dying on the streets because of the heat. I mean, this is dangerous stuff. When you talk about heat uh, of this level, uh, every time you look at the news, uh, virtually any news outlet is telling you whenever doing a heat-related story, lots of water, uh, make sure you're out of the sun, go to a cooling center. Now, we have cooling centers, malls. Uh, and uh, various public uh, venues that are cooling centers. You know, for example, uh, in parks, you have, um, you know, clubhouses, you know, where, uh, you know, people congregate. Uh, And they're air conditioned, but the problem is there are limited hours. There aren't enough of them. And people end up dying. And, of course, who ends up getting hit the worst And you would expect it? The homeless people. Uh, They don't have access to transportation. Uh, the ones that are mentally ill, and there's a huge number of homeless who are mentally ill, uh, they don't have the wherewithal. They literally will sit in their tents and bake to death. And do we have an outreach program that goes tent to tent? I tell you, during an earthquake, uh, you're going to have the authorities, the police, uh, going door to door. In uh, the areas that are flooded, one of the stories, as we were talking about, Kentucky and various other places uh, in the country uh, that have had these uh, these floods, the police go door to door. Are there any victims? They don't do that with uh, the uh, tent encampments. They just don't. And as you would think, uh, the poor and particularly African-Americans are hit the hardest And that naturally is a socioeconomic issue because among the poorest are African-Americans, Latinos, but uh, the African-Americans get hit the most. Uh, Even President Biden's infrastructure package, this is $50 billion to protect against drought, extreme heat and flooding, doesn't give much to uh, organizations that deal with uh, the kind of heat that kills people. I mean, it is crazy. Uh, And uh, you've got a lot of these uh, advocates, uh, supporters of the homeless are saying, hey, we're talking about people dying here. And the centers that are open uh, usually are open. We're talking about the cooling centers because public pressure has made political action necessary. There is a policy analyst at UCLA by the name of Eve Garrow And she's been looking at this. This is what she studies. And uh, she said over the weekend, just last week, uh, the temperature was in uh, triple digits. She met and went out, met several people, homeless people, who were nervous about doing anything. They at least had the wherewithal to understand how dangerous it was. She met a uh, a man who uh, he said miscalculated, didn't drink enough water, he collapsed of uh dehydration and the only reason he is still alive a relative found him and brought him to the hospital uh there is a woman who goes uh, travels by roller skate because she doesn't have any vehicle that's kind of clever and she and others have said even walking along the asphalt was difficult because uh the asphalt was melting and she literally sank uh sunk through and uh, here in uh, Los Angeles, city of Los Angeles, uh, thousands of people were moved from street encampments to shelters and later into hotel and motel rooms. That's Project Roomkey. And the problem is uh, once someone is moved, then that person is deemed to be uh, being given housing, even if it's a temporary shelter. So uh, we've got a a long way to go. And is it going to happen as a fundamental right? I don't know. I don't think the courts are going to go that way. But uh, maybe as in New York, the political pressure is such that uh, we have no choice. Closer to home. It's uh, a story about taxes. Uh, The IRS has uh, been severely underfunded. And the government keeps on cutting and cutting uh, the budget for the IRS, which is totally counterintuitive. And why is that? Because the IRS collects the money. It's estimated that maybe $600 billion a year are left on the table where people who should, companies and people who should pay their taxes, don't. I mean, $600 billion a year. I mean, consider this. The entire military budget of uh, the United States is uh, a little over $700 billion. This is 85% of the entire budget of just the military. So uh, what is Congress doing? Well, finally, it's uh, pouring money into the Internal Revenue Service, $80 billion uh, over the next 10 years to help beef up this collection system. And uh, a phrase that President Reagan used to use, uh, it was very funny, and he talked about the most dreaded words in the entire English language is I'm from the IRS, and I'm here to audit your taxes. And if you've ever been audited, oh, believe me, it is no fun at all. I've had the pleasure of being audited. I'll never forget that. 1994, and I got audited, and it was a nightmare. So uh, should you be worried? I mean, they are doubling the size of uh, the employees. I mean, it's going from 79 uh, thousand employees currently to double that and a lot of them are collection agencies. Well yeah it's uh, the reality is you shouldn't be too worried. First of all the vast majority of taxpayers, 90% percent do not even itemize deductions because under the new IRS plan that I think the uh, president uh, Trump put into place uh, it's uh, the standard deduction is uh, enough. To where you just put in a one-page form and you get, uh, you get what you otherwise would have, if not more than uh, with uh, the itemized deduction. So uh, you're probably in the no itemized deduction, and that's really what kicks off the uh, the IRS in terms of an audit. Uh, now, uh, you, know, you still get get called by the IRS, but typically, and I get questions like this: you get a letter from the IRS, and it's all automated. You're not talking to anybody, and it's usually a mistake uh, that's made, an arith, an arithmetic mistake, where uh, x number of dollars are reported by the various or one employer uh, paying taxes or paid into the government, and then you put in a different figure, and it just doesn't match. So the IRS sends you a letter saying, "Hey, yeah, you got this issue. You owe two hundred dollars, one hundred and fifty. You miss. Uh, here's the math, and you just pay it." Now, you can, uh, you can appeal that, and that goes through the whole process, but no one does. Um, the um, Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, and here's another one why you don't have to worry, has said the IRS is not going to increase audit rates for anybody making under $400,000. Not that many of us make $400,000. So the vast, vast majority of Americans, there will be no uh, additional chance of getting audited. Uh, The assignment of the IRS, of course, is to collect all the money Washington is entitled to, uh, and that's under existing law. And uh, so where do they get the money? Again, even if you are audited and you're making $60,000 a year, the IRS isn't particularly interested in this. Where they want to go is, as Willie Sutton, the bank robber, said, uh, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. And that's where the IRS goes. High-income individuals, partnerships, corporations. Um, and the reason that it is so difficult for the IRS, someone making several million dollars a year, uh, let's say uh, President, former President Trump gets audited, which he has on a regular basis, uh, the number of tax attorneys and accountants and CPAs that he has and wealthy people and wealthy corporations have, is unbelievable. And they fight, and they appeal, and they go right down the line. Uh, most of the cutting, incidentally, for the IRS has been pushed by Republicans. I mean, some Democrats have uh, joined in, but it's mainly a Republican measure. Uh, and as the IRS, uh, the strings tightened with the IRS and their ability to collect, the U.S. economy grew And corporations and rich taxpayers got richer, more skilled at gaming the system legally. And we've heard this before. Some of the largest, most profitable American corporations pay no U.S. income tax, which is why under uh, President Biden's plan, there's a minimum of 15 percent. Corporations, no matter where, no matter what, if they're American corporations, it's 15 percent. And the number of individual tax returns while the uh, the budget has been cut, and I think it's 25% over the last couple of years, uh, the uh, number of tax returns has uh, steadily been increasing. As I said earlier, the IRS now employs 79,000 regular full-time workers. Uh, Ten years ago, it was 95,000, and the population has grown dramatically And the number of uh, the wealthy and corporations not paying taxes has grown uh, dramatically. So the number of audits, 70% drop compared with 2010. Well, so are you going to be audited now that we're hearing the IRS has just doubled the number of agents, the IRS? Uh, And they are, when you hear commercials about how powerful they are, they are. Uh, That's not an exaggeration, but I'm just bringing to the table that I know you're sweating an audit, and as Reagan said, one of the worst uh, phrases is, I'm from the IRS, I'm here to audit your taxes. You have no more chance of having an audit now with the increased uh, budget and the increased number of agents the IRS had than before. So I guess to an extent, you sit back and uh, just relax.
1: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere,
0: playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void required prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Yesterday, we received the news that uh, Ken Starr had died. And I've interviewed uh, Ken Starr. He was here at KFI uh, a couple of times. Uh, My goddaughter was pretty close to him. And uh, I spent some time with him, and I have to tell you on a personal note, and I'll tell you a little bit about why he's considered an important figure, uh, is that uh, I've interviewed a ton of people in my time, uh, as you can imagine. I've been doing this for a long time. And even those people that are nice understand uh, who they are. I mean, oh, lovely person, uh, but there is no issue – that part of uh, their being is this was a former president or a big film star or a cabinet member. Uh, and I've interviewed all of them. And uh, it was always interlaced that they were those people that important. Ken Starr had no idea how important he was. He was the most self-effacing, self-deprecating guy you would ever meet. And uh, he thought of himself as no big deal. I mean, he had a job to do, and he did it, and he didn't understand the fuss, and that wasn't shtick either. I mean, he really didn't know. He didn't live as Ken Starr, the political figure, the famous figure. He was Ken Starr, the regular guy. Funny, self-deprecating, and uh, we know uh, what he was. And I want to share a little bit about the information. Uh, He rose uh, to fame because he was the independent counsel in the Clinton investigation, nailing Clinton uh, for the Monica Lewinsky affair, investigating the Whitewater affair with Hillary Clinton, and all of those, the, the suicide or the murder of Vince Foster, depending on which side of the political coin, political coin you're on. So he's uh, he's an independent counsel. He's assigned to do the investigation. Coming out of this huge law firm, but very well respected in, uh, uh, in conservative circles. He was a solicitor general of the United States. He was an appellate court judge. I mean, there's a lot there. He was president of Pepperdine. So uh, he becomes the independent um, investigator and independent counsel. And I'd asked him, uh, you know, as you uncovered what was going on leading to uh, Clinton's uh, actually the impeachment of uh, Bill Clinton because of the affair of Monica Lewinsky. By the way, you didn't get nailed for the affair. I mean, Monica Lewinsky and Bill uh, Clinton uh, are adults. You know, consenting adults and uh, so there's no crime there at all uh, the crime if you will is the political stupidity of bill clinton uh, not understanding is how a president can have an affair presidents are under the microscope i mean the uh, everybody knows and certainly the secret service and everybody around the president knows exactly where he is and so he has this affair with monica lewinsky and that blows up and then he tries to cover it up because there was a Paula Jones lawsuit and there was the deposition uh, in which uh, he both denied wrongly and uh, made a fool of himself. You know, uh, did you have uh, sex with uh, Paula Jones? He goes, it depends what is, is, depends what the meaning of is. Really? So anyway, he got nailed. He got nailed for obstruction, he got nailed with lying under oath, perjury. This is Bill Clinton. And and, and he was impeached. In the Senate, of course, he was acquitted, and that's a given that if a Republican has been impeached, uh, it if there are enough Republican senators, it will never be a conviction. The same thing on the other side uh when Clinton was uh, impeached, I had said there's no chance. And when uh, Uh, President uh, Trump was impeached. There's no chance. I don't even know why they bother. Uh, But the point is, uh, he did. And he led through. And he didn't originally go after this stuff. People think he was looking at this and looking for issues to nail Clinton. He actually wasn't. Uh, He was investigating. And then the investigation led to something else. And then it led to something else. And he was even asked about the investigation, about whether or not he regretted everything he did during the Clinton years and his investigation. He says, yeah, I regret every bit of it, but my job was to go forward and find out what was happening, much like you hear now, uh, the attorney general, Merrick Garland, and, uh, and top uh, FBI officials, when asked about the investigation of uh, President Trump and Mar-a-Lago and other investigations, uh, they say, we're going to go where the evidence uh, points us. It's that simple. We're not going to go further. We're not going to go less than. Uh, that's that's Ken Starr. And then, uh, and he argued, of course, uh, for impeachment of Bill Clinton and Guess who was one of the chief defenders of President Trump during his impeachment hearings? Ken Starr switched sides, not as individually, but switched sides as to the impeachment and argued basically the same legal arguments that uh, were used against Clinton and said, well, in this case, it's not the same. Uh, Because uh, Starr was. Uh, A legitimate political figure. Uh, He was right-wing, one of the heroes of uh, the right, Uh, had tremendous credentials, very soft-spoken. He's the kind of guy that um, everybody liked uh, whenever you met him. I mean, truly one of the most delightful people you could ever meet. And he had an ideology. And under George H.W., he was a Solicitor General of the United States. Matter of fact, he went from the appeals court uh, because uh, under George Bush, uh, he was a Solicitor General. And Bush asked him, uh, you know, we're asked him to leave the appellate court. And that's a lifetime position, federal appellate court. So, anyway, uh, that's Ken Starr. Ken Starr, gonna be missed. Liked him a lot. And if you ever met him, you would uh, like him instantly. No question about that. Now, uh, the abortion issue has, boy, has it come to the forefront. The anti abortion folks uh, have a huge win. I mean, they were fighting for 50 years, Roe v. Wade, and they finally won. And you got to be a little bit careful uh, what you wish for, because I think what they didn't understand is the backlash amongst women who felt that choice was taken from them. Oh, by the way, it's not just felt. Choice was taken away from them. And then the issue becomes what's more important, uh, in a, you know, a pro-choice view or a pro-life view. And I've talked about it many times. And Never the twain shall meet. It's apples and oranges. And it's which side is going to win. And right now, the winning side is the anti-abortion side. But here's the problem, the political backlash. That wasn't expected to this extent. And how much influence the abortion issue has on and will have on the elections, particularly the midterms coming up in November. Uh, Some Republicans are actually most Republicans are scrambling to get out of the way where it was uh, uh, conservative Republicans advocating time after time abortion, abortion, abortion. We have to stop it. Uh, we have to sanctify life. I mean, just, it became a major issue. All of a sudden, they're pulling back. All of a sudden, they're pulling back and say, that's not what we want to talk about. Uh, Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about inflation. Let's talk about what a horrible job Joe Biden is doing. Well, before Roe, uh, the conversation was all abortion, 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 and the backlash from women. Not just liberals. I'm talking about... Uh, those in the middle, independence. the backlash has been tremendous. Okay, so the anti-abortion people win. And what ended up happening is that uh, abortion is not made illegal. It just goes to the state. It's no longer uh, the states. It's no longer a constitutional protective uh, issue anymore. No fundamental right to abortion, which Roe v. Wade, uh, in fact, gave women. Gone. So it goes to the states. And this is what the uh, anti-abortion people have been wanting and screaming for. And then in comes Lindsey Graham. Conservative Republican, South Carolina, one of the leaders in the Senate, who introduces a bill yesterday that would ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy nationwide. In other words, a federal law banning abortions. Can that be passed? Yes. Why? because abortion is no longer a protected right under the constitution roe v wade has been overturned and so you have the conservative republicans including him who had said thank goodness now it goes to the states and then it's going to be all over the map california will be is pro abortion to the point where they're helping women get on airplanes to come to abortion clinics in the state and then you have other states, uh, South Carolina. You have Indiana. You got uh, Florida, Texas, that are outright either banning abortions, or even making it criminal. So that's where it goes to the states. So what is Lindsey Graham doing? Passing, trying to pass a federal law, in which even he advocated those issues have to go to the states. Well, let me tell you, there's a you know, there's a backlash on that one too. Uh, Mitch McConnell. Senate minority leader, said, uh, no, this really goes to the states. Now, there are some conservative senators and conservative Congress folks who are advocating advocating a federal ban on abortion. And I mean, there's some people that would probably advocate the death penalty for doctors that perform abortions uh, or at least charge them with outright murder. I mean, that is happening, too. But somehow... Switching from we want the states to now have the power to legislate, changing from that to now the federal government should be involved is completely contradictory to what the position was prior to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Hey, we want the legislatures in the states to deal with this because it is a state matter. It's a 10th Amendment matter. The states are going to decide well, no, not in the, uh, in the area of abortion. No, I want to go back to the feds. So uh, in the Biden administration and uh, conservative Democrat or uh, um, liberal Democrats are asking for the codification of Roe. Okay, Supreme Court says it's no longer a constitutional right. Let's make it a federal law that allows you to have abortion, that it, it comes back as a right, but not a constitutional right, as a federal law. Can they do that? They can. Can there be a national law that precludes abortion? There can. Is it going to happen? No. Neither side is going to win on that one. It will go to the states. And it will go from California, which is not only protecting abortion, doing everything it can to uh, enhance the abortion issue, Uh, All the way to states like Texas and uh, other conservative states where it's criminal. And I think the issue is doctors have to be tarred and feathered and strung up and put in pillory stocks and whatever the hell else they're doing. Love the hypocrisy. Absolutely love it. I want to spend a minute talking about disinformation via text messaging. Uh, Now, the biggest disinformation scandal the biggest event of the 2022 midterm uh the primaries is not an elaborate russian troll uh like we had in uh the 2020 election uh no it's text messaging so the vote in kansas uh that upheld the constitutional protection of abortion which was being attacked and uh the uh, conservative uh Anti-abortion folks, I mean, could not believe how badly they lost. Well, the night before that vote, and this was a statewide vote, a referendum uh, that would remove uh, the protections in the state constitution, voters saw popping up on their phone a text message telling them that a yes vote protected abortions across the state. When, uh, as a matter of fact, the opposite was true. A yes vote would cut abortion protections from the state's constitu- constitution. But this is what happens when you see, for example, propositions. And uh, it's usually yes means no. Usually uh, taxpayers are not taxpayers. Prop 27, you're hearing both sides. It helps the Indians, it hurts the Indians. Uh, it's about big corporations taking all of the money. It's about Californians getting the money. I mean, it goes on and on. And that's what happened here. Uh, this is via text messaging. Now, the messaging effort and the refer- uh, referendum to uh, cut the protection of the state constitution failed. Uh, but this showed how easily a bad actor can leverage text messaging which still rely on the same technology uh, that they were developed for in the 1990s. This is not the Internet. Uh, Spreading disinformation on uh, text messaging has few consequences. I mean, there's a cottage industry and federal agencies that target election disinformation on social media. But there isn't a comparable effort for texts. Scott Goodstein, who built uh, the bulk test messaging apparatus for Barack Obama's 2008 campaign, is looking at this and he says there is very little uh, stopping political groups from spamming voters with disinformation. Very easy. There's no real cost. There's no real consequence uh, to upload very, very targeted voter file based groups, spread disinformation, misinformation, horrible rumors. Easily acceptable. Now, uh, it is harder to spread out uh, this this disinformation on American social media platforms. Why? Well, uh, since 2016, when uh, Russia's troll factory, that's in quote, ran unchecked Facebook and Twitter uh, messaging, uh, well, those companies started taking the issue a lot more seriously. They hired teams that routinely remove those kinds of content, The lies, uh, the exaggeration, can't do that, right? And you've got companies uh, in the industry that are stopping that. Uh, They're also helped by the FBI. In 2017, the FBI created the Foreign Influence Task Force, but not for texting. No company, no regulatory agency that monitors the context of the billions of text messages that are sent out every day. Uh, American phone carriers employ some anti-spam measures, but they're limited. And uh, the number of complaints about spam and scam text messaging has just uh, increased monumentally to a magnitude uh, with uh, the American regulators, the FTC, the FCC. Now, federal restrictions uh, on political text messaging uh, were loosened. When? Right before the 2020 election. When the last major acts of the FCC during the Trump administration was to make it easier for political campaigns to send text messages. Even to numbers on the do not call list. That list doesn't really exist anymore. And here is what uh, the rule says. That providing... Uh, provided that each message was sent by a person as opposed to an automated system, that is allowed under the law. So it has to be sent by an individual as opposed to this automated system. So, okay, that's going to stop it. Oh, contraire, mon frere, not at all. The text messaging folks uh, easily have an end around on that one. And How? Well, they have a warehouse full of people, a call center they've created just for this, full of people that are sitting there with iPads. And uh, one of the people that runs this says, I can schedule to send out 10,000 voters in a few hours the message. I have an office park full of people, and all they do is sit and push the button. And once that button is pushed and the text goes out, that's within the law, and we've had that message that now has reached that voter. It used to be you couldn't do either one, but under uh, the Trump administration, uh, the Trump administration and uh, former President Trump, big fans of uh, text messaging and big fans, or at least some Trump supporters, big fans of uh, disinformation. And I'm not going to accuse uh, Trump directly of this information, but I'll tell you that uh, if you look at conspiracy theorists, how many of them are Republican Trump uh, supporters versus Joe Biden supporters? Just look at the numbers. So all they have to do is push that button. And how many times can you push a button in an hour? That's how many texts you can send. And at this point, it's not even clear uh, whether political groups that spread these text messaging information uh, disinformation are going to face any consequences at all. In the Kansas case, for example, where uh, the text, message, uh, text messaging uh, was an utter lie, yes means no, no means yes, uh, it doesn't look like any consequences are going to be uh, faced at all uh, because uh, various groups hire various companies who hire various companies and they end up uh, doing all the texting. So you're going to get a lot of texts prior to the uh, November primaries. Now, right now, there's no evidence of a foreign country doing this. Uh, and that is masterminding a text campaign against Americans. Uh, as a matter of fact, a declassified report in the from the 2020 election from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the NSA, Uh, found that countries like Russia and Iran uh, didn't really try to attack American election infrastructure like we thought they did. Instead, they were devoting their resources towards influencing operations. That's the other thing uh, that we sort of missed. We thought it was involved in the direct election, changing votes, getting into the Dominion machines. No, they were just straight out influencers. It's that simple. So, oh, there was one in which Iran, uh, two weeks before the 2020 election, accused of um, sending out texts that sent Florida voters intimidating emails telling them to switch their party registration. That's the accusation. And Iran naturally, of course, denied it because Iran does nothing wrong ever. Handle in the morning crew, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app.